0: Um, I'm looking for something, I'm looking for a name, um, when you think about the, the greatest movie stars out there, your favorite movie stars, if you, if you, if you did an internet search, um, I'm thinking of a name that would probably come up on every search, you know, the top 10, the top 20, the top whatever, uh, so I'm looking for a name, so I'm going to ask you, uh, who is it, um, who, who am I thinking of, when you think of a, a great movie star, who do you think of? Clint, somebody else said that. No. Okay. He, good one. I'm not saying he's not good, uh, but that's not the one I'm looking for. Who else? John Wayne. They, who's that? Okay. No, I'm, not that, I'm not that old. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, John Wayne is not the one I'm looking for. Who else? What? Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Man, you guys are, you're going way back, you know. I'm just, what? Tom Cruise? Nope. Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson? No. Who? Nicholas Cage. Nick, Nicholas Cage. Is he even on the these by list? Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Jack Nicholson. He's usually number one, which is weird. I don't like the guy, but anyway, whatever. Um, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Who else? I heard it. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is the one I was looking Did anybody else say Tom Hanks before I heard it? Yeah, Tom Hanks. Okay, he's... Uh, he's one of the top. He's always in, in the list of top ten. Okay, so now that you got the guy I'm looking for, um, now you got to look for the movie I'm looking for. So, what movies are he is he known for? Castaway. Castaway what else? What? Big Forrest Gump. Of course, Forrest Gump. That's not the one I'm looking for. Big. Big what? The da, the da Vinci Code. That's not definitely not the one I'm looking for. <laughs> that's that's looking that's looking that's looking for. What? Road Perdition. That's not the one I'm looking for. All, right. All Great movies, aren't some of these? Are, some of them aren't so great, but I didn't hear the one I'm looking for. I'm looking for... One? No, not Cast one. Saving Private Ryan. Who said that? Okay, I was thinking Dan got two for two, but no, it was okay. So, um, so yeah, Saving Private Ryan is the one I'm looking for. This, uh, if you've not seen it, I don't want to like spoil it, but shame on you. This came out like, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, something like that. So, um, but, but just to remind you, the most graphic movie I've One of the most graphic movies I've ever seen. Um, And it's a powerful movie. It's a good movie. Uh, The plot, here's the plot. In the movie Saving Private Ryan, actor Tom Hanks plays an army captain who is among those American soldiers who took part in the D-Day invasion of World War II. Shortly after the invasion, this captain is put in charge of a special mission to save Private Ryan. Ryan's brothers have all been killed in different battles during a short period of time, and only he survives among all of his siblings. And the military decides... Uh, Private Ryan must be located And returned safely home to his family But the search isn't easy Many of the men in the group They're shot, they're killed along the way The cost is incredibly high At one point the character played by Tom Hanks Talks to his men in frustration And this is what He says This Ryan This Ryan had better be worth it He'd better be a genius or something He'd better live a long life and do something like Invent a long lasting light bulb or something And finally, they find Private Ryan. But before returning to safety, the captain himself is shot, mortally wounded. And he looks up at Private Ryan, and with his last breath, he says, Earn this. Earn this. I say all that, to to, you know, last week we, we talked about what Jesus did for us. First of all, before, before Easter, the week before Jesus died for our sins. And last week we celebrate Jesus rose from the dead. And my message is we, we need to live up to this. Now, I, I've got a verse that I want to throw up here. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Just, just think about this. What Paul is writing, let that we may live a life worthy of the Lord in response to all that Jesus has done for us. And I, I want to ask you, what does this look like? To live a life worthy of the Lord. And, and, and let me ask you, are you doing this? I mean, out of gratefulness of all that Jesus has done for us, are we living a life worthy for the, of the Lord? Should we not be doing this? As Christians, shouldn't we be doing this? So we're, we're, we're done with the Gospel of Matthew. I've been preaching out the Gospel of Matthew for three years. I finished that up last week. And, um, and, and this is not where I thought I was going to go. Um, uh, but, you know, God did something there and then you know, just took a U-turn and said, okay, this is where we're going. We're going to go into the book of Colossians for a few weeks. Um, a lot of great stuff in the book of Colossians. And I want you to see some things here. Um, first of all, to, to understand, Paul is the one who wrote the book of Colossians. Um, And and he's writing to a group of people, the city of Classe. Classe, um, uh, people that he'd never seen before. He'd never met them. He's not the one who originally brought them to the gospel. It says in verse 7, it talks about a man named Epaphras. It is Epaphras who actually brought them the gospel. It says, you you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras went to the prison that Paul was in. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. And Epaphras was checking on Paul and giving him a report of these people in Colossae. And it was a great report. He said, God is moving here. So the, the, the book of Colossians, um, the little the four, four chapters, I think, um, it, it, it's filled with good news and bad news. And today we're going to cover some good news here. The good news is these people are growing in their faith. It's not, when, when you think of some of the churches um, that Paul wrote to, when uh, you, know, you think of uh, the Corinthians, they had issues. Okay, they had, and we're going to talk about them hopefully by the end of the year. We're going to go in, in there. And uh, because they had some issues, and we have some issues, so maybe we can relate. Uh, but, but then the, the, there's, you know, the book of Galatians, and um, they had some issues too. Now, now, Corinthians, they were kind of far, far on this side, and Galatians were far, far on this side. You, you, you see this, you, you got some churches out there that are really, 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 really liberal, and you got other churches that are really, really, really conservative. And Colossians seems to be. They're getting it right. They're, they're, they got some good things going on here. Um, Corinthians, they're out there. Galatians are out here. Colossians, let's, we're going to look at them. It, it's a, why did I close my Bible? I want to read this. I want to read this, Colossians chapter 1. Let me read the first six, six verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, says here, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, I want you to see, to the saints, I, I, I need you to see that, to the saints and faithful brothers. Um, grace and peace to you from God our Father we we always thank God the the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints The, the faith and the love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, that, that, that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace, grace and all its truth. Um, let, let, let's, let's look at this here. First of all, the, the, the word saint, the word saint, we go back. Where, where, where did it go? There. Um, to the saints. That's so what it says in verse 2. And in verse 4, the love you have for all the saints. You get down to verse 12. I didn't read this, but verse 12 says, the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. So here, you know, three times in just a few verses, that word just kept on coming out at me. Saint, saint, saint. And, and I'm just kind of curious, when you think of the word saint, what comes to your mind? I'm just wondering how heavily influenced we've been over the past 2,000 years to make this something that it doesn't, it, it does, it's not necessarily, it, this is, it's not. Um, I'm thinking that we've been heavily influenced um, that, to think that the word saint means somebody who lived an extraordinarily holy life, you know, who rose above the, the the rest of us and and has been forever um, immortalized, you know, as a statue, or we name a cathedral after, after them. You know, you got, you got you got you got you know Saint Marys, you got Saint Peter's, you got Saint John, you got Saint um, Saint Francis, you got you know all these different saints. Um, and I'm just saying, how come I've never there's no Saint Bubba, you know, or Saint Bob? I've never heard of Saint. Uh, what is, so when you think of the word Saint, and the point I want to make here. Is in the Greek, this is important to me, in the Greek it's the word hagias, and that word means holy. So in the NIV, the NIV says it right, but I just didn't I, I wanted I wanted to go someplace else with this. The, the, it says to the holy ones. A lot of other translations says to the saints. To the saints, to the holy ones. It means the same thing. The, the word hagias for when is the same word used for the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Holy. Talking about the saints, holy. I say all that to ask you, are you a saint? When when, when, when we're reading the book of Colossians, it's written to the saints. I want to ask, can you identify with these people? Are, Are you a saint? Do you see yourself as a saint? And this is important because your identity determines your destiny. If you don't see yourself as a saint, you're not going to live like a saint. If you don't see yourself as somebody who's holy, you're not, why be holy? I, I've, I've heard stories, you know, like there's one, one guy who just in trouble all the time, just constantly making bad decisions, and, and, and all the people around him getting hurt because of the stupid decisions he's making. Somebody finally asked him, Why do you do this all the time? He says, Because I'm a rebel. Who told you, you you're a rebel? Why, what, what put that in your head? Have you ever met a woman who like goes from bad relationship to bad relationship to bad relationship to bad relationship, to bad relationship and, and you finally have, to? why are you doing that? And she says, because I'm damaged goods. Why would you think that? Why would you think you're damaged goods? And does God think that of you? Is that how God perceives you? And I would ask you, wherever you are, you know, do, are you perceiving yourself the way that God perceives you? Or are you perceiving yourself the way the devil is perceiving you? Um, this this world puts things in our head, you know, because you know this, the, there's there's always like two extremes. You got you got smart people, and you got um, you know, other people. You got you got you got pretty people, you got ugly people, you got successful people, you got you got unsuccessful people. And in one camp, it leads to pride. You know, look at me, look at me. In the other camp, it leads to despair. None of this is from God. What does God say? God says you are a child of God. You are loved by God. You are forgiven. You are holy. By the blood of Jesus, not because of anything we did, but by, by the blood of Jesus, he has made us holy. You are a saint. It's important to know who you are, because if you know who you are, then you will know what to do. And I, I believe this is, this is where we've got to go. We, uh, I say this because I had a conversation with Art yesterday. Art was asking some questions about the the state of the church in America today, and and it it leads to conversations. He's writing a a paper on it, and and he asked me, you know, what do I think? And, And the first thing that came to my mind, the problem in the church today, in our world, in America, is we've not been living holy lives. And the world took notice. And the world says, I don't need that. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. Because we're not taking holiness seriously, we're not living like the holy people that we've been called to live. Um, The Bible three times the Bible refers to God's people as Christians. Only three times is that used in the Bible. Christian, the word Christian. Um, Ninety-six times it uses the word saint when it's talking about God's people. Uh, God's people are saints. God's not just not just the ones who lived two thousand years ago. Not just the really good ones, you know. But if you are in Christ, and and, and that's the most common way the the Bible refers to Christians, is those who are in Christ. And it's being in Christ that makes us holy, that's what makes us saints. And I say a lot, I say, I say it a lot, that we are sinners. I feel like it's very important that we understand we are sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's important to me that we understand that because I think you cannot understand the good news until you understand the bad news. bad news is we are sinners. But this was really revolutionary to me this, this week. As I was studying, um, this, this really hit me in a big way here, um, that the Bible refers to people as sinners— over 300 times. But the Bible only refers to those who are following Jesus Christ as sinners three times. And those three times are kind of controversial, debatable. Are they really, are they really following Christ? It's kind of like talking about a lukewarm Christian. Is that really a Christian? Um, only three times does it talk about God's people as sinners. The, the Bible refers to God's people as righteous, as holy, as saints, over 200 times. And, and, and this is important. When, when, we, when we think of ourselves as sinners, yes, that's what we do, but that's not who we are. We are saints. And once we understand who we are, I believe it will, it will empower us to stop doing all the stupid things we do, stop saying the things that we shouldn't be saying, stop doing the things that, that we shouldn't be doing. Christ died to make us holy. Christ gave us his Holy Spirit to make us holy so that we would be like him. And let, let, me, let me say this here. The, the Catholic Church, I think, this is where we get our, our idea of what a saint is. In the Catholic Church, there are five steps to become a saint. Um, and what, what I read, you've got to wait five years after your death before you can be considered to be a saint. And then they send out a team of investigators, you know, to figure out were you really a holy person? Did you live a, a life of, of a servant of God? And, and then there has to be proof of a heroic virtue. I don't know what that means. Um, and fourth, there's got to be a miracle. A miracle had to be attributed to your, your name. Um, and then fifth requires a second miracle. And if all those things happen, then the pope can declare this person to be a saint. You are a saint if the pope says so. That's the process that's still going on today, I think. That's how I understand it. I'm just saying, according to the Bible, the way you become a saint you belong to Jesus Christ. And so I'll go back. Are you a saint? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Did his blood that he shed for your sins, have you accepted that by faith? If so, you belong to Jesus Christ. You are holy because God says so. But Martin Luther, he calls this the great exchange, that, that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect, perfect life, which you didn't live, And he died in your place, a death that you should have died. He he takes your place. He puts us in his place. He takes your condemnation. He gives you his salvation. He takes your rebellion. He gives you a a heart of obedience. Um, He takes your death. He gives you his life. He takes your unrighteousness. He gives you his righteousness. He takes your sin, and he calls you a saint. There's no one like Jesus There is no one that does what Jesus does. There is no one who takes his enemies and turns them into his family. That's what Jesus does. And if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And this affects everything. This this affects how you live. This affects how you learn. It affects how you work. It affects who you marry. It affects how you parent. Knowing who you are comes from faith. And and this is the first thing that that, that Paul really writes about you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. This, this faith, and and, and I would make we talk about faith all the time, but what I want you to recognize this faith is so so deep, it's an internal, internal faith that affects everything. This is why we love Jesus. This is why we believe in Jesus. This is why we follow Jesus. This is why we serve Jesus. This is why we listen to Jesus. This is why we want to be like Jesus. Is because we have this deep, internal, unshakable commitment to Jesus Christ. That's faith. If you don't have it, let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And, And what does Jesus do? Jesus does what only God can do. He, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die, to, to die to make us holy, to die to give us access to the presence of God in the person of God in the peace of God, which, which solely, exclusively comes from the person who is alive today, who rose from the dead, who's sitting on the throne, who, who's reigning in heaven, who's the king over all kings. And his name is Jesus. And faith in him, Is connecting to him, abiding in him, and unleashing the power that only comes from him. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? If so, you are holy. Because, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. And this is, we praise God. And we put our faith, just like the Colossians did, we, we have an internal faith in Christ Jesus. And the next thing that Paul, he, he, he says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he talks about this love that you have for all the saints. We, so this love that's external, we, first of all, you have this faith that's internal, and, and then we have this love that's external, this love for God's people, when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you experience his love, you know his love, and, and you allow his love to flow through you so that others will experience his love. This, this, is, this is a mark of Christianity. I, I can show you over and over and over. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Jesus says the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He, he summed up the whole whole Old Testament in those two things, right? Love God, love each other. Love. This is how we know that we are children of God. It says in 1 John 4, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we love. And we got to understand, I can't do that on my own strength. Some people are really hard to love, right? Love is supernatural. Love comes from God. It's a love that God has placed in us through the Holy Spirit. And we have access to this unending flow of divine love, and it's something the world so desperately needs. Colossians 1 verse 8 says, Love in the Spirit, this divine, inexhaustible source of eternal love, Flowing love, which causes us to pray for one another. It causes us to serve one another. It causes us to build one another, one another up. This, these are the things we should be doing. Why? Because, not because the Bible says so. Just because we love each other. We love each other because we've experienced this, this magnificent love from Christ Jesus. How can we keep it to ourselves? We, we've got to love this is, this is Christianity. And, and, and Paul says, We always thank God the Father He's for your faith and for this love that you have for all the saints and for the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. This hope that is stored up in heaven, this, this hope that is eternal, this hope that's not based on your feelings, it's not based on how you feel today, it's not, not based on, on the news that you read in, in today's paper We know where we are going. So we know how to persevere. And and this is is so important When, when you think about how messed up this world is and you think about what a magnificent opportunity we have to bring hope to the hopeless because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. We live our lives worthy of the Lord. And when we do that, I can't help but to think the world will take notice, and it will change lives. And that is how the kingdom of God will come on this earth. My hope is not in this world. My hope is for this world. My hope is in the king of kings. We have eternal hope. If only the world would acknowledge Jesus Christ as king, then they too would have faith, and they would have hope, and they would have love. And Paul says in verse 6, all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And I thought that was an important verse. You think about 2,000 years ago, how, what, a, what an awesome time that would have been to be alive when the church was spreading like wildfire. When the gospel was being preached everywhere and people were coming to Christ in droves and the and the world was being changed, be right before their eyes, because of all these people who were responding to the gospel. That would have been an awesome time to be alive. But I don't want I don't want you to be discouraged because I believe it's happening today as well. From everything, I read, it's not happening in America. America's got issues, but, but what I read here in Korea, hundred years ago, hundred years ago, Korea didn't didn't have a church. And today there's over 7,000 churches in the city of Seoul alone. Africa, at the end of the 19th century, the southern portion of Africa was only 3% Christian. Today it's 63% Christian. 34,000 people come to Christ a day in, in Africa. In India, 14 million of the 140 million members of the untouchable caste have become Christian. More people in the Islamic world have come to Christ in the last 25 years than the entire history of Christian missions. God is on the move. The gospel is spreading. In China, it's estimated there are more disciples of Jesus Christ than there are people in the Communist Party. Did you know that? The news is never going to tell you that. All across the world, followers of Jesus are increasing by more than 80,000 people per day. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So don't be discouraged. I mean, America needs to get its act together, and we can do our part. But God is not dead. America might be dead, but God is not dead. And so Paul says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. And, and, and Paul is praising God because this, this church in, in classe was growing and was bearing fruit. This is a good church. And then he goes on in verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. That's, that's a verse I've really been wanting to, 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 to preach on right here. But finally got there. Um, and, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So Paul says, for this, for this reason, we haven't stopped praying for you. I can't stop praying for you. And I'm praying, what, what Paul's saying, I'm praying that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will. It, it, Paul was praying that they would have the mind of Christ, that they would, that they, they would know the will of God, that they, would, they, they could see things from God's pr- perspective. It, uh, there's a verse that hit me here in Ephesians chapter 1, talks about uh, how God will, has made known all the mysteries of his will. And I think some people, some Christians are still living like everything's a mystery. But Ephesians tells us that he's made his, the, 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 he's made known to us the mystery of his will. God wants you to know his will. It's, it talks about in Romans chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. The more that we, we come to Christ, the more that we, we are, allow our minds to be transformed, the more we will understand God's will. And we will know, and this is important, we'll know what is right and what is wrong in god's eyes not in people's eyes but in God's eyes we will know what is good and what is bad in God's eyes we will know what is what is good what is better what is best as we seek the will of God as we grow in the knowledge of God so, so first of all uh, he, 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 he prays that we will be filled with the knowledge of, of his will. Secondly, he prays that we would live a life worthy of the Lord. And, and, and I want you to, to see something. Live, live a life. I think it's how it says it in the NIV. Uh, that you may live a life. In the Greek, that's one word. And it's the word walk. It's the same word used of Jesus walking on water. He walked on water. Same, I'm not going to put the Greek up there because nobody cares. I can't say it anyway. Uh, but, but, but it's one word, walk. But that word walk describes your conduct, your behavior, your character, your lifestyle. Live a life. Walk this way. Walk this way. No, never um, how, how does one walk? That I should have never done. Uh, you walk with two legs, right? If, you, if you're healthy, you walk with two legs. One, one foot in front of the other, right? How do you walk spiritually? And here in this passage, it gives us two spiritual legs. Two spiritual legs. First of all, it says in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. That's how you walk. You bear fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and growing in knowledge. Bearing fruit and growing in knowledge. And you spiritually walk. Bearing fruit, that's action. Growing in knowledge, that's education. Action, education. All for God's glory. Action, we're walking worthy of the Lord. And I think you know, the knowledge, the knowledge. I am of the conviction that every human being who has been created in the image of God, which would be every human being, um, should be a theologian of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you you get your doctorate degree at a Bible college or a seminary or something like that. I'm just saying anybody and everybody should be a student of the one who made them. On some level, on some level, don't you want to get to know the one who created the universe? I'm not saying you have to have a degree in this, but but you should want to know. You should have a thirst to know. And if you have a thirst to know God, I believe you see it. First of all, it's in the Word of God. We should be students of the Word of God. I highly encourage that. But but you can see it. In, you can see it in calculus. You can see. You can't. You can see it in biology. I, when I studied biology, I just every page, God, 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 God. It, he was all over the place. If, if you got the eyes for God, if you got a heart for God, you start seeing God in, in everything. Uh, education is dangerous, though. Knowledge is dangerous. Knowledge puffs up. That's what the Bible says. Knowledge puffs up. Uh, 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 no, Warren Wiersbe, he says, I've, I've met people who have become intoxicated with studying the deeper truth of the Bible. I mean, instead of getting a burning heart and devotion for God, they just get big heads, and they become a problem to everybody. Uh, it, There's a problem. If if all you're going for is knowledge, for the sake of knowledge, it could be a problem. Um, There's a purpose for knowledge, and that purpose is to know God and to know the will of God and to know the plan of God. It says in Proverbs 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Then it goes on verse 9, Then you will understand what is right and what is just and what is fair in every good path. That's why we want to know God, why we want to grow in our our knowledge of God, so we know his ways, so we can experience his blessings. And the second leg is action. Forget it. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Action. We don't do, let me say this, we don't do action to earn our salvation. We're not trying to do things to earn our salvation. We're doing it in response to salvation. It says in Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's workmanship, created to do good works in Christ Jesus, which he's prepared for us to do. That's not not to earn our salvation. That's in response to the salvation he's given us. We do good works. It was in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine so that men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We, We want to bear fruit. We want to bear good fruit. So God will be glorified. Live a life. I talked about that. Live a life is one word. It's the word walk, It refers to our lifestyle. Live a life worthy. I want to talk about that. Worthy. Worthy comes from the word weight, which didn't mean a thing to me. But then started, which comes from you know substance. Okay, that means something to me. Live your life, live a life of substance. And how many people in our world today are living a life with no substance? Just going through the motions. No weight, no substance, no depth, no character. Wasted lives. That's not what God is calling you to. Live a life worthy. Live a life of substance. When Jesus walked in a room, there was substance, and lives were changed. And when you and I are walking in Christ, there should be substance. There should be depth. And hopefully people will see Christ in us, and lives will be changed. We should be making an impact in this world. Are you making an impact? Are you just wasting your life? Live a life worthy Worthy. And, and I wrote down here, I thought this was interesting here. It was, it was in Colossians chapter 1. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Be, being strengthened by God's power. Sometimes our legs don't work so well, right? Sometimes we need a walker. Sometimes we need a cane. Sometimes we need a hip replacement. Sometimes, sometimes we need something. And to walk spiritually with two legs, God's saying, don't, don't try to do that in your own strength. Use my strength. And God is going to give us his strength. So what does it say? So that you, we will have great endurance. Why is endurance important? Um, endurance is important because remember the saints in, in, of, of Colossae um, and the saints in America, we're living in a hostile world. We're living in a world that has become hostile to the church, hostile to Jesus Christ. And if you're not walking with endurance, you're, you're going to give up. You're not going to keep walking. So God empowers you, giving, giving you endurance, the ability to, to live under pressure, regardless of what's going on. It and, and, and makes me mindful, you're kind of like an oak tree in a storm. God wants you to be an oak tree in a storm. Endurance is the ability to hang in there with faith and hope and love instead of resentment and bitterness and hate. When, we are, when we're empowered by God, we can change in our lives what needs to be changed, and we can endure the things we cannot change. And it talks about patience, um, being strengthened with all power, with the great endurance, and patience. Patience is similar to, to endurance, but there's a difference. Endurance is for, for situations. Patience is for people. Um, I endure the situation. I'm patient with people because sometimes people are hard to be patient with, right? Uh, sometimes people um, are hard to deal with. Sometimes people are mean, uh, and they're not walking with Christ, and they're selfish, and they're, they're, they're hateful, they're unfair. And we are being called to walk with patience. We're being called to walk with endurance, and we're being called to walk with patience. And there's one more thing I want you to see here, which really stood out to me here. Joyfully giving thanks. What does it say? Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. As I'm walking... Bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. and Bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. And he's giving me endurance because I need endurance. And he's giving me patience because I need patience. He's giving me the ability to be joyful and thankful. And I wrote down here, there's a big difference between being thankful and being joyfully thankful. I'm joyfully thankful. And that's supernatural. That comes from God. That's a gift from God. God gives us the power to endure, to be patient, to joyfully give thanks so that we can live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. On, on the back page of your outline, if you got an outline, if anybody cares, if anybody's following here, I want to say, and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That, that leaped out at me. There, there's something. He has qualified you. He has qua- qualified you for What? He's qualified. How did he qualify? He died for you. And he died for your sins. He removed your sins to qualify you. So we are qualified by the blood of Jesus. We are qualified to share in the inheritance. To share in the inheritance. Have you ever gotten an inheritance before? Anybody here have a rich uncle or a rich aunt? I don't have a rich uncle or a rich aunt. I didn't get that. Um, But when I think about it, having an inheritance from God Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the streets of gold in heaven? And I'm qualified to get that. And you're qualified to get that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why we live a life worthy of the Lord. And one more, two more verses here. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us. Do you, can you relate to that? Have you been rescued? Do you know where God has called you out of? You know, the, the despair, the depression, the, the, the demonic oppression. I said this in, in the last service. I look at Tim and Jenny. They, they took me to Haiti with them. It, it, was, it was a, Haiti is a dominion of darkness. You could just feel it there. I went to Arizona, the Navajo Reservation. We, we did ministry there. And it was so oppressive. You could feel it, this, this, this dominion of darkness. I've been to Mexico. I felt this, I saw this dominion of darkness. I've been to Columbia. I saw this dominion of darkness. I'm seeing it more and more here in America. And maybe you grew up in it. Maybe you're still in it. And I, I pray to God you're not still in it. Because this is what Jesus wants to rescue us from. He, he did it for Bartimaeus. He who he, he was rescued from his blindness, Zacchaeus, who was rescued from his greed, Lazarus, who was rescued from the grave, Saul, who became Paul, was rescued from his hate. What has God called you out of? What has He rescued you from? This dominion of darkness that you don't have to stay there, He doesn't want you to stay there. This is why we joyfully give thanks to the Father when we think of all that He has done for us through Christ Jesus. I began with the movie Saving Private Ryan. Let me tell you how the movie ends. I'm going to spoil it for you here. The movie ends with Private Ryan, you know, 50 years later. He's 70 years old now. He goes back to Normandy, he goes to the, the, the cemetery where this captain who saved his life was buried. And he kneels down at the tomb, and he starts crying uncontrollably. And his wife tries to comfort him. And he says, have I been a good man? Have I lived a life worthy of this man's sacrifice? That's the question I want to ask you. When you think about Jesus and you think about what Jesus did, are you living a life worthy of this man's sacrifice? Are you living a life worthy?